This is not printed in your bulletin, but I'm going to put a, an Old Testament reading uh, before our sermon as well. So if you would go to Psalm 103, if you're using the few Bible that you have. Psalm 103, if you're using that, will be found on page 939. Sometimes things come together uh, more, uh, definitely later in the week in terms of how I'm going to connect things, and that was the, the case here on Friday. I realized this would be a great uh, short Old Testament text to read. Psalm 103, verses 8 through 13. Familiar passage, wonderful, but as we think about the call that James puts upon us to, to be slow to anger, It'll be good to have these, these words within our mind as well. This is God's holy word. It's inerrant, infallible. Uh, it is given to us, God's people, for our good. Let's give our attention to its reading as it is read in our midst. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Amen. And then go forward to James chapter 1. James 1, towards the end of the New Testament, verses 19 through 21. Once again, God's holy word, give your attention to it. The grass will wither, the flowers will fall, God's word will endure forever. James 1, verse 19. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. And slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Beloved people of God, anger is certainly a a very serious and difficult matter to consider. And uh, as you you think about and and begin to study anger, something that we'll, we'll point out a couple of times is that it's not just Christians, it's not just the scriptures that recognize uh, the ugliness of anger uh, when it is out of control. And, And it's not just Uh, Christian people that call others to not be angry. 
It was Seneca, who's a Stoic philosopher, and you, and you can understand why Stoicism would not look kindly upon anger. Stoicism is really kind of removing yourself from the emotional reactions of your circumstances. You kind of learn, this is an oversimplification, but you learn to not let your circumstances affect you. You sort of kind of almost stop caring about them. But it was Seneca who wrote a very famous work on anger, certainly not writing as a Christian, but he uh, called anger, particularly when it gets out of control, he says it's an ugly and shocking picture of self-perversion. You cannot tell whether this vice is more execrable or disgusting. Those are his two choices for uh, sinful anger. It's either execrable or disgusting. Neither one of those is very good. Anger Sinful anger is a life-destroying thing. It's a soul-destroying thing. So I want to take the first part of the sermon today to just talk about the danger of anger and how dangerous it is. Because if we do not understand that, we're not going to understand the weight of what James is saying to us here in chapter 1. So let's consider uh, together the danger of anger. James says, listen to this. Pay attention to this. In other words, wanting us to, to zoom in. And to consider this carefully for just a few moments as he uh, is working through his epistle. And of course, we we see that there's a a great deal of connectedness in chapter 1. Some people think it's just sort of snippets of wisdom. And that's not what James is doing. It's all very closely intertwined and connected. So this comes to us in the context of the suffering church. And certainly you would see how suffering and circumstances would tempt people to get angry. And thus he gives us, or he gives them, and he gives us that, that encouragement. In other words, he's saying anger is very dangerous. And when we consider the, the, the danger of anger, just at the outset, we ought to say that there is a righteous anger. There is such a thing as righteous anger, but righteous anger, very important for us to understand this, is not easily accomplished. It is not a simple thing to hold on to and to endure in righteous anger. In order for anger to be righteous, there need to, need to be uh, many ingredients present as you work through the issue. Righteous anger arises from noticing a real sin. It has to be something that actually is an offense to God in order to be righteously angry at it. And we should also say that there needs to be a proper gauging of its seriousness. So in, in our house, occasionally we'll have a cup of milk or water spilled at the table. And we have young children. I'm sure those of you who have ever been around young children can relate to this experience. We have that every once in a while at the table. And by every once in a while, I may mean every five or seven minutes at a meal. Uh, But we have it every once in a while. And of course, we teach our children you need to be careful. Uh, You need to practice great care when you're at the table. You can't put the cup next to the edge of the table. And despite our uh, repeated instruction, we do from time to time still experience spills at the table. Now, uh, they ought not to be forgetful of those instructions. They ought not to be careless about those instructions. Nevertheless, when it happens, if I blow into a, a hurricane of indignation because there's some liquid that's spilled on the dining room or the kitchen table. I've not rightly gauged the seriousness of the moment, have I? What 
children do when they're careless about these things. It's not the same as a false prophet posing as a servant of God. It's not the same thing as someone stealing money uh, from the church. It's not the same thing as an abusive husband or father. We must recognize the varying degrees of the seriousness of sin and act according to wisdom. We should also say that righteous anger would have God's glory and kingdom concerns at the heart of it. Now, this is where most people veer off the path from righteous anger. Perhaps they notice a real sin, and perhaps to some extent they gauge the seriousness of it correctly. But most often what gets people into an indignation is, is something that has been done against them. And so people will hide behind this veneer, these claims of righteous anger, in order to exact revenge upon someone. Uh, They are doing this in order to make them feel terrible, to shame them, because they believe they'll get some kind of satisfaction out of it. They'll hide behind a veneer of righteous anger, but really what's at work is a desire for revenge. That is not righteous anger. And it is so often the case that when you're dealing with someone whose anger is out of control and has veered off into sin, really what's going on is they're, they're being more wrathful than God. Someone repents and asks forgiveness and is truly, genuinely sorry, they are not glad to grant forgiveness. They are not they are not ready to be reconciled. And indeed, they have forgotten that when people come to God in humble repentance, God is glad to pour forth forgiveness and mercy and reconciliation. They're more wrathful than God. Well, that's not good enough. This person needs to feel I need to shame them. I need to make them feel the weight of this. Some satisfaction out of it. The last criteria we'll, we'll name, as Pastor Tim Challies puts it, is a righteous anger uh, must have a godly expression. It will never lose control. It will ne- never fly off into a rage. It will never use vulgar or hurtful language. All of those things show that what you're dealing with is not righteous anger. So righteous anger is not easy. It is real, and it is possible, and indeed, we should, we should remind ourselves, sometimes it is necessary, particularly in, in the church. There, there should be a, a righteous indignation when uh, truths uh, are being challenged, or when heresies pop up in the church, or when someone veers off the path of godliness and is hurting others, is causing harm to the people of God. There ought to be righteous indignation about Anger is very dangerous as well because it's a scary sin. We just need to admit that angry people are scary people. There is something profoundly unnatural, especially to the eyes of Christians, to seeing someone who is entrenched in an angry, spiteful, wrathful, vengeful heart. This is something, again, noticed by Christians and non-Christians throughout human history. To go back to Seneca, he said this, Anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than anything onto which it is poured. It destroys the soul from the inside, sometimes slowly, sometimes quickly. It is unnatural. It is terrible to witness. It's ugly. It's scary. There's also a common sense understanding of anger that works within hierarchical structures of authority within, within God's world. So in the times of Scripture, an angry master is a scarier reality than an angry servant. Again, to uh, go back to the, the example of young children, and when, whenever you have a two-year-old and you're dealing with some of those tantrums and outbursts, of course you want to deal with that and you want to be firm, 
but sometimes you know you you deal with it in your in your heart you're almost smirking because some of those outbursts they they're almost pathetic and they're not threatening at all and you know it and you're tempted to almost think sometimes there's something cute about it of course there's not but the point is that it is not uh, threatening an angry master angry at his servant that is scary for many people especially in, in as we think about it that in the times of scripture and that's why scripture called masters to not go off the deep end and abuse their servants colossians 4 1 masters treat your slaves justly and fairly knowing that you also have a master in heaven if you're looking at someone who is in some sense under your authority in the home or work life wherever it may be and if you convince yourself that that's kind of an airtight compartment of authority and there's no one to whom you answer, it's your own little universe to exact your anger and your wrath, you are doing wrong. You're forgetting that there's someone who is your master. Of course, there is the enormous responsibility given to a man in the context of the household family, of course, the primary institution which God has instituted in this world, uh, a blessing with order and a structure. Husband is the head of the wife. The the father is the head of home. That is how biblically we are to order our, uh, our households. And yet, it has been the setting for horrifying sins and abuses. We have to admit that. If men do not begin to understand how dangerous their anger can be, Towards their wives and their children. They will pay the price as they fall into this pattern. There are few things that are more dangerous or scarier in a home than a man who cannot control his anger. Colossians 3 says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. How would you provoke, how would a father provoke his children to anger? By being angry. If you show that you are always angry, you're going to provoke them to anger. They're going to see what you do, and they're going to react and act in kind. Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Make them reflect the character of God as you reflect the character of God. Husbands, 1 Peter 3, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. When you see something that you deem to be a weakness or a flaw in your wife, you ought to react with kindness and graciousness, knowing and understanding that God has called you as the man to compensate for that perceived weakness to help her along, to be understanding, and to lead your home in godliness. And if you do not do that, don't expect God to hear your prayers. Your prayers will be hindered, 1 Peter 3 says. Anger is dangerous because the opportunities to get angry are all over the place. Why do we get angry? We get angry because we don't get what we want. We get angry because someone else acts differently than we think they should act. And you are faced with those kinds of situations every single day. This is really as simple as we can put it. We get angry because we believe we deserve something. Or we believe we deserve to be treated a certain way. It does not happen. And we get angry. What this comes from, of course, is a terrible pride. Angry people are prideful people. Believing that they 
deserve this or that. They always insist on their rights. They always insist on what they deserve. Of course, not being driven by kingdom concerns. And in this life, you will often not get what you want. You will often not be treated the way you believe you ought to be treated. You you will not get those things which you insist upon all of the time. And if you cannot break free from a pattern of anger, you will always be angry, and it gets easier and easier to be angry. Anger is dangerous because it has far-reaching consequences. Proverbs 22, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Angry people are constantly entangling themselves in snares. Their their lives are a web of difficulty. Everything about their life can turn into a massive situation, a massive crisis, because their anger drags them off into it. A man without self-control, Proverbs 25, is like a city broken into and left without walls. Anyone can just walk right in. And that's, if you are angry, that's what your life is. Any sin any strife, any difficulty, any challenge can just walk right in and make its home in your life. A man of wrath, Proverbs 29, stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. It's not just that you are angry and that's sinful. It's that when you are angry, your sins will multiply. Exponentially, your life will be filled with sin. We blame others. We get angry at others, but ultimately, your anger is against God and your inability to deal with your circumstances. Proverbs 19, when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. If you're always angry because you don't get your way or some circumstance comes into your life or some person treats you a certain way, if all you can do is get angry about it, your ultimate argument is with God because you are saying he is not wise enough to govern the affairs of your life. So you take matters into your own hands. You want to exact justice yourself. You're raging against the Lord. It's dangerous. And so James calls us then to not be quick to anger, but to be slow to anger. In order to do so, we must be quick to listen. That must be what we are quick to do. My dear brothers, let every person be quick to listen. This brings us back to the the dual points of pride and humility. A prideful person believes he immediately understands everything about the situation. Something happens to him or to her, and they say, I get it. I know why this person was acting this way. I know why they treated me this way. And they make all of these quick and hasty judgments. Humble people know that understanding takes time, that situations are complex. It's often the assumptions that are made hastily that put people in trouble later on. Being quick to listen has some reference, perhaps primary reference in the the context of this passage because verse 21 brings it around to listening to God's word. We are to be quick to listen to God's wisdom in every situation. We are met with a circumstance that we don't particularly like. We ought to be asking ourselves as God's people, what does God's word say about this? How am I to act in this situation? Again, reminding us of the importance of knowing God's word. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Quick to listen, slow to speak. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Slow 
to become angry. The word for anger can also mean wrath. It can mean either one. We are to be slow to anger because as human beings, we ought to have long suffering in this world because we know that it is God who will ultimately make things right. He will even the scales. And all the anger that God has, all of the wrath that he exercises is good and right and just. But that's not the full answer. It's not just that we say, okay, God has wrath and anger righteously against sin, therefore we need to be long-suffering. The call to be slow to anger is a call to be like God, to act as God acts, because God is slow to anger, as we read in Psalm 103. James is calling us to be like God. He is the one who is slow to anger. He is the one who is patient and long-suffering in the face of sin and evil and wrongdoing. It's a call to be like God. And that brings us to verse 20, that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, or as our translation puts it, the righteous life which God requires, which is probably what James is getting at there. If you want to live in a way which pleases God, your anger makes it impossible to do. If anger is what is driving your action, it is impossible for you to live in a way that pleases God. That is why anger is so dangerous. It cuts you off. You're immediately off the path of obedience when you are sinfully angry. And indeed, we must be thankful as you think about The anger of man does not produce the righteous life which God requires. How has God brought all of this to a head in human history? Sinful anger, wrath that human beings have had towards one another. He has done it in Jesus Christ. And indeed, Jesus Christ would never have come to earth to be our Savior and our Redeemer if God were not slow to anger. Redemption never would have happened. Christ never would have come. The gospel never would have been accomplished if God were not slow to anger. So we must remind ourselves that if God were to act the way that we so often tend to act, reacting angrily, insisting on our rights, in taking petty offense, in never forgetting... I'll forgive you, but I'm not, I'm not going to forget. God, Psalm 103, he does not treat us as, your, as our sins deserve. So many people insist, well, I've forgiven him or her, but I'm going to treat him or her according to their sins. Taking petty offense and worrying primarily about what sin does to us before God. If God acted that way, none of us would have eternal life. And that is why it is so important for us to understand the way that God calls us to relate to one another in relational strife is centered upon the gospel. The gospel disarms our anger because if someone in any sense is beginning to rightly understand God's right to be angry with them and God's right to condemn them. If someone is beginning to rightly understand that, but then sees how God has acted towards him or her graciously, lovingly, in long-suffering, and in accomplishing redemption for us, 
The gospel will disarm your anger. Thus, if you live constantly in anger, you ought to be very, very nervous and scared that you have not understood the gospel at all. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ disarms your anger. This, in many ways, relates to the error of the Pharisees. Scripture became a place for them to flex their pride, to exact revenge. And often today, there are those who fancy themselves Christians, fancy themselves good at understanding theology, who cannot control their anger. It comes down to whether or not you have the humility to see the gospel of grace. Proverbs 29, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit obtains honor. Be quick to listen, be slow to speak, be slow to become angry. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Rather, put away rampant filthiness and wickedness. Receive with meekness the, the word that is able to save your souls. Our call to those who know they need help with anger, probably on some level we all need help with this, is that, of course, if we can't produce the righteous life with, which God requires, what do we need? We need the power of his word. We need to humbly receive the word of God, the instruction and the training of the word of God. In other words, we are to drag ourselves to church every week because your act of sitting under the preaching of the word and humbly receiving, again, you can't just check the box and appear externally that you're submitting to these things. You can't just go through the motion. God looks upon the heart. We are to receive the word in meekness, with humility. There's a manner in which we are to receive it, and God knows when we're faking it. That will be what produces fruit in you. Humbly bringing yourself to the word of God day after day after day. And trusting that that will be what produces godliness in your life. That is why it's called the fruit of the spirit. Pastor Mark Jones uh, has put it really quite well. The, the fruit of the spirit is ultimately about not getting angry. Any of those fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You could simplify it and say, it's really, it comes down largely to not being angry. So receive with meekness the word that is able to save your souls. Receive everything that the Bible says. What do we receive first? The gospel of grace. The gospel of grace. The declaration that God forgives anger. The declaration to those who are entrenched who are trapped in a web of their own entanglements because their anger has produced all of those things because their life is a complete mess because they cannot get out of it themselves because without Christ they have no hope the declaration that God forgives anger that he separates your sin as far as east is from the west that he takes humble sinners who finally look upon the sinfulness of their heart and realize they're not saving themselves and realize they can't get out of it themselves. And to realize that there is more grace in Christ than there is sin in you. And that anger is not an unforgivable sin, but you need to give yourself to the one who can change you and who can overcome your sin. Receive with meekness the fact that you cannot exact justice on your own. That's what angry people often are. I'm going to make the world right myself. I'm going to take things into my own hands. It's really a, a self-fulfilling kind of message of salvation. I will make the world right. I will make this person right. The gospel is something different. 
We receive with meekness the gospel of grace. We receive with meekness the word of life of a transformed heart. Second Peter chapter 1 says, God has granted to us by his divine power all things that pertain to life and godliness. It's all in the Bible. God has given to us everything in Scripture that we need to live for him. So give yourself to the Bible. Give yourself, receive with meekness the high calling that he places upon all of us as believers. Now you must put them all away. Colossians 3.8, similar to what James says here, rampant filthiness and wickedness. He says, now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. My own translation of that verse is, now you must put them all away. Anger, 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 angry speech, and angry speech. It's all anger. Anger, wrath is anger, malice is anger, slander, speaking angrily, obscene talk, speaking angrily. Put anger away. God's word works in us the life which will please God. We cannot produce it on our own. We must never forget the seriousness of these things. Angry people have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. God's wrath is coming for those who are sinfully angry. Do not minimize this sin. Don't think, oh, it's something just in my heart. If you are entrenched in anger, you ought to live in fear. God's wrath is coming for those who are sinfully angry. But it will be God's word on the last day, which is exalted because we will understand that it will have been God by the power of the Spirit working through his word that has produced in us the works of righteousness, not in any way that makes us inherit eternal life because of what we have done or salvation because of what we have done, but because there will be an agreement between our profession and the life that we live. Not perfect, of course, but that God's word has produced in his people a life of faith, a life that was lived by faith, and a way and a manner of life that's in accordance with faith, in accordance with the truth of God's word. If you're angry, listen to God meekly, with humility, over and over and over again, so that he might produce a life pleasing to him in you. Let's pray. Father, we humbly come before you and know that we, we need your help and your grace and how desperately, how desperately we need you. And we ask for your help in all of these things and ask that you would free us. We know that all of us in some level struggle with anger, but we especially ask for those who are entangled in a web of sinful anger, who cannot break free, open their eyes and their hearts to know and to see that it is only by your grace, only by Christ, only by the power of the Spirit regenerating a heart and changing and transforming us that we can live the righteous life that you require. We entrust you. You are in control, and thus we cannot be angry about our circumstances. You can govern our lives much better than we can. We give ourselves to you. Ask that you forgive us for Christ's sake. Amen.